1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to Episode 71 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Hurleman. And with me like an astromech and a Jedi starfighter, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! What be the haps, yo?
0: Alright, no, I'm never doing that again. Hey, everybody. Oh,
1: man, that was that was solid gold, man.
0: <laughs> well, we're back. Uh, we got through at least some of our backlog of feedback, trying to get to all the ones sent to us through email Uh, in our last episode, so we figure might as well continue on with that. We will return to our coverage of Legacy and cover some other comic series and whatnot in the near future, but uh, we don't want to stay behind at this point on feedback, so uh, we're back with sort of a part two in this case. We're back with more feedback!
1: Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you a long time, or simple ones that have pledged you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we continue to respond to your questions, your ponders. As like last week, this week, your thoughts and opinions on Star Wars are the star. Consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go.
0: We start out with a brief one sent in by Santonio Janoni how you pronounce it, Sonny, uh, says, Hey, buddies, wanted to get your thoughts. What if Maul ends up being the Dark Jedi that guards Mount Tantus that is eventually defeated by Sopheia? Or what if he ends up being the First Emperor's Hand? Does that fit continuity-wise? Sorry about my spelling. Keep up the good work. Thanks.
1: Ooh. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I could see on one aspect him being that Dark Jedi. Um, you know, the whole, the whole aspect of, of Sabath, Saboth, I always call him, it is, you know, that's one that's been near and dear to me. I've been wanting to know more about that. I think the most we've gotten is outbound flight. And even there, all we find out is that Palpatine got his genetic material, then Obi-Wan's. Anakin's and a bunch of other people which is always curious like if you're cloning all these people and you have Anakin the chosen one Skywalker's DNA why aren't you cloning him I mean obviously they were able to clone him in Galaxy of Fear but they created the Vader version of him that wasn't right but I don't know could it be could he be the Emperor's first hand I I actually think he would work better as the Dark Jedi Guardian than as the Emperor's hand I don't see Palpatine putting him in a spot where he could be out on his own again but being trapped on a planet, guarding a mountain, I could see that.
0: And the whole cloning thing, it does strike me, you know, if if basically Anakin was burnt, yes, you need to fix the burns, but he lost limbs. There's a whole question of, okay, he lost limbs. Does losing limbs actually change his attunement to the Force? If you can clone, could you not have cloned new limbs to replace those? Or is it just a matter of it's just too work difficult fat? to do?
1: Um, no, Fat Fat had that happen in the New Jedi Order. His uh, the ebook. He he had arms and legs that had been cloned and, and cloned internal organs and stuff. I mean, he was having parts cloned for him left and right.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um, actually, I think there's an answer sort of to these. Um, uh, was could he be the one that guards Mount Tantiss? That I think is a possibility they could use. Because bear in mind that. It started out with this idea that there was a guardian that Sabaoth defeated, then for a while there you had some materials coming out, like the databank, the long-lost databank, now that StarWars.com is a Pretty Pictures website, um, that basically suggested that there was just Sabaoth and he really didn't kill an earlier guardian, it was just always him. Uh, but then you get the Star Wars encyclopedia that turns around and confirms yet again that they are two separate characters, and that guardian has never really gotten amongst all that confusion, any type of real background. So it'd be kind of cool for it to be Maul, um, who would be that guardian that Sabaoth destroyed, which again would also give us another reason to believe of, that the Sabaoth clone Jor- Sabaoth was perhaps a really, really powerful Dark Jedi. As for him being the first Emperor's hand, I'm going to say yes and no. And this ties into current continuity things. Um, could he be the first Emperor's Hand? I don't know. It'd be interesting if he was, but I doubt it because you would think he would have been someone to be mentioned elsewhere. But then again, Mara didn't even know there were other Emperor's Hands, and until relatively recently in some of the source material and then in the Old Republic, we didn't realize that terms like Emperor's Hand, Emperor's Wrath, Emperor's Voice, etc., etc., were terms that were used by the ancient Sith Empire as opposed to just the more recent Sith, uh, the new Sith, and whatnot. But... The Darkseid sourcebook for the Wizards of the Coast RPG, one of those early hardback sourcebooks, does it. note that the, re- that the reason why Emperor Palpatine creates, at least in his era, the position of Emperor's Hand to essentially be his assassin and uh, go-getter, you know, get her done kind of stuff, is <laughs> the reason why he does that is because of how effective Darth Maul was as an assassin going after specific targets like Black Sun, uh, doing the things he did in Darth Maul Saboteur, and in Shadowhunter, etc. So, was he the first Emperor's Hand? He almost sort of was. Because it was yeah. his actions that that started that trend to make Palpatine want to have a hand in the first place. Which also goes back to sort of fitting with what we had talked about in a previous episode, like uh the Darth Plagueis novel episodes and the Darth Maul episode, about how, in a sense, Maul... Seems like he never really was meant to be a true Sith apprentice so much as he was just always a tool. And what is the Emperor's hand, mm-hmm. if not a tool, for the Emperor as opposed to a true apprentice? So I I think that'd be kind of cool for them to link those together, uh, more so than they already have.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head with the Hydra Spanner there. I mean, that's 100%. He was the Emperor's first hand in that regard. I mean, when you spell it out like that, it, it it's right there in your face in Darth Plagueis. I mean, Palpatine's going against the rules. He called him a Darth. He called him the Apprentice. But really, all he was was a hand. Wow.
0: Another one coming in from Scott Fetzik. Scott is uh, addressing this to Mark, based on something, uh, Mark, that you had said back during our coverage of the Clone Wars stuff. He says, Mark, just a quick note to let you know that Hasbro did release action figures of not only Rex in his cold-weather gear, but also Obi-Wan, Anakin, Tao's warrior, and clone troopers with Speeder. Trespass had a lot of figures released for being a single episode. By the way, great show, Scott Fetzik.
1: I'm sorry, I'm still dying from that. Uh, You know, and as soon as I remember reading this email, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my god, you're right. It was like a Toys R Us exclusive pack, one of those $20 packs. Uh, My son's got a couple of those, in the past of the troopers and stuff. And, you know, I'm on the fence with those because I, I like the fact that they're there, but I hate how high in price they are. And the fact that they're only offered in those packages. And the only way to get them is that way. And then usually what happens is like, like with ones that my son gets, he's already got some of those figures as singles, but they don't sell all of them. So you've got to buy one that you've already got just to get the special Obi-Wan or the special tulls or, so, so I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because, yeah, I, I remember I was completely totally like, they need to have more of these. I'm still wanting more Night Sister packs. I think we just got Mother Talzin and I think that's it. But, yeah, you know, I, I would love to see these as single packs. So the other day I went out and they had a Clone Commander Wolf with his Clone Wars or his, uh, or his uh, Episode 3 gear. And they had uh, Rex's Season 5 masked helmet version, you know, and I'm like, about time. Although Rex's helmet looked incredibly big. It looked like one that would come off his head and it was actually affixed. So I'm like, really? Really, Hasbro?
0: Say so I don't collect the figures, but my only thought that pops into my head when you said that is if they've got an action figure they're saying is exclusive to a multi-pack, they damn well better make sure it stays exclusive. Because all That's I can true. think about when you say exclusive is I think back to the Force Unleashed Ultimate Sith Edition and the Hoth level that was only gonna be available there that then later got released online. And I'm still I'm still annoyed by that. Years later, I love the game and I've got multiple versions of it, so I actually own the original and I own the ultimate Sith Edition but that will never, ever leave my mind as an example yeah. of supposedly exclusive stuff that well, was bait and switch.
1: The way they do their exclusive stuff, though, is it's like it's exclusive to this store. So, like, you would get that five-pack exclusively at Walmart, and they have a different five-pack exclusive to Target, and they have a different five-pack exclusive to Toys R Us. And while, granted, you can get maybe one or two of these toys as singles, you couldn't get all of them in that five-pack unless you went to that one store. And right. Well, that's like, but yeah, they also had those ones where, like, the Obi One was the only in cold gear, and he was only in that pack and only at Target or only at Toys R Us. That's, yeah. I mean, I get where you're coming from. But there's that thin line, but I hate having to buy a, a fifty or or twenty five dollar toy just to get one of them out of there, and the other four of my kids already got. It's like, I want that one. Dang it!
0: Reminds me of the approach they take with the new releases of the movies. Like, I was just lucky that when I went to get uh, back when they released the classic trilogy on DVD, the second no second or third time, the time they released it where you could buy the little two-disc sets where it had the original original editions as bonus material, basically, so that Lucas could say it wasn't actually releasing those movies and not have to pay royalties and such to his ex-wife. Um, uh, They didn't release that as a box set. You just had to buy them separately originally. But Best Buy, where I happened to go to pick them up, had a special collector's tin that you could get. Some places had t-shirts or whatever, maybe a lithograph, but that place had a collector's tin that I thought was pretty cool. It actually reminds me very much also of the way that a lot of video games are dealt with right now, where if you were gonna pre-order a video game, especially a big name release, there are exclusive content bits that you get, whether it's weapons or whatever it might be, but that exclusive content usually is different depending on where you pre-order. Like with Mortal Kombat, it was, you get classic character skins, but you get Scorpion from this place, Reptile from this place, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they did that recently with Defiance, which I reviewed over at InvisibleGamer.net now that I've started writing for them from time to time. Um, it was Spore Shot, I think it was, from GameStop, but then something else from Amazon, something else if you pre-ordered from Walmart, which I didn't know you could do. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's we're, we're into an era in which exclusives are the way that companies say, okay, look. You know we can't differ the price all that much, so come to us and you'll get this specific exclusive thing. They did that with uh, with Star Wars number one. Let me let me toss in a minor Star Wars number one, <laughs> one here because I'm pretty sure they're not gonna that none of our emails are about this. This drives me insane. Star Wars number one was huge, right? Brian Wood uh, doing the 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 writing and then the new artistic team and all this stuff. So they put out a regular edition through comic shops, which is the direct edition where you could get yourself. A digital copy of the comic free, as Mark mentioned, I believe in our last episode when we were talking about the the e reading debate with that email from David Noce. Um, then they put out a newsstand version as well, same cover, just without the digital comic inside, which meant the little logo was missing from the cover. That became, in theory, a variant, even though most comics have that kind of variant and nobody really gives a crap most of the time. But then they also had a Hastings variant with a very different cover, and there was a GameStop variant that you could ha- you, that you had to pay for. Not with real money, but with GameStop points. The the power-up rewards points that a lot of people were angry about because most people who wanted it didn't have that many points to be able to spend on it and had to turn to eBay. That one had its own separate cover. Then they put out a second printing that was a virgin cover, no text on the cover. Then a third printing, virgin cover except for a blue Star Wars logo. Now a fourth printing, virgin cover, a virgin cover, now with a red Star Wars logo on it. And they put out a sketch cover. Very hard to get your hands on. Now all going for over $100 most of the time on eBay at this point. And to top it all off, Dynamic Forces stepped into the poodoo with me on this one. Dynamic Forces put out several special releases. And sometimes Dynamic Forces will put out a variant of a comic, have it signed with a certificate of authenticity, or just be a variant with a certificate of authenticity. This time they took the regular comic, which they sometimes do, had it signed by a creative member of the team, and then had a certificate of authenticity put inside. Uh, I happened to be able to get a, a comic that was hand-signed at a signing event by the artist and uh, the the writer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. so it was kind of cool to be able to get that. But if you want one signed by Alex Ross, the cover artist, a huge name in comics, Dynamic Forces was the way to do it. So they put out one that was limited to however many thousand copies or hundred copies or whatever, um, That was signed by him and there was some confusion because they started announcing another one signed by him turns out it was two different ones the only difference being the color of the ink he wrote in and how many they had him sign in that color ink then they did two more the exact same way the the special gold and silver editions you know what that means gold or silver freaking ink and the number that they put out with that color ink. And now they've announced apparently a fifth one. A later printing also signed by Alex Ross, also limited in number. They have The Black this, Edition. Yeah, they've milked this thing for five different versions of the exact same freaking comic, at least one of them being a different printing. Um literally being able to charge gigantic amounts of money for these simply by having him change which color pen he used. That is horse Sith, as Mark might say. "Bullshit! That is insane. Um, Dynamic Forces, I was already not a huge fan of their overpriced limited editions, though I've been able to find some neat ones from time to time years later on eBay, uh, like my Legacy Number Zero signed by John Ostrander, which I got that was a Dynamic Forces edition. But to do that so quickly back-to-back, to make people race to get one limited edition, only to immediately say, oh, by the way, now that you've paid a bunch of money, here's another one. So those hunting variants... If they think of those as variants are going to wind up having to hunt it down over and over and over again, that is that is scummy to me. That is absolutely the bottom of the barrel on <laughs> business practices when it comes to comic book variants. Um, I lost all respect that I had for Dynamic Forces when they did that. At this point, um, I don't care if I ever get my hands on a Dynamic Forces comic ever again because I mean- that's garbage.
1: That's shady. I mean, okay, my issue with these packs, like, I can understand where they're coming from. Like, my my son got the Ninja Turtle sets. Uh, You know, they got a new round out, their Nickelodeon's ones. He's he's in the process of getting those. He has all but Leo. But the other one, not the one that I grew up and you grew up with, Nathan, but the next gen when they brought them back and they kind of had that old style. Well, they had a Michelangelo. It's the TNMT movie version when those ones came out, that that edition. And the Mikey that they had in the single figure had the most ridiculous goofy smile grin and the biggest, roundest set of eyes. All the rest looked hardcore Ninja Turtle awesomeness, right? But not Mikey. No, they, they accentuated on his face so much that he looked like a clown. But. If you went down to Toys R Us and got the General Two Pack that had the statue of the Chick General, it came with Mikey with the with the same look that Raph had, all urgh, angry gr- grill face. So I bought it for my son, 25 bucks, just so I could get that Ninja Turtle, so my son could have a set of all four of them looking cool. Because that that's the kind of figures I am when it comes to my obsession with figures, and I, I do that with my son. My son had no clue; he was happy playing with them. But I was like, "You got to have the awesome turtle." And, and that's my issue when it comes with these packs. It's like, I, I, you may want that one single awesome figure, but when they don't offer it anywhere else, you, you're stuck with you have to go to eBay and you hope that somebody's offering it loose because that that's the only other option. You either, you either tighten the belt and, and fork out that extra money or you hope somebody is going to be offering it later.
0: Yeah, not a big fan of the way that uh, some of those exclusive things have been handled in the past, but it's not, I mean, it's not just... You know, Star Wars materials, certainly. There's plenty of instances where you could argue about the same thing. But I mean, I guess it's, it's, I mean, it's a fair business practice. It just sucks. And sometimes they take it so far that it's, uh, it's pretty shady. We have another email here from Timea Taliber. Uh, T-I-M-E-A, pronounced Timea. Hopefully we did that correctly. Um, she says, hello, Nathan and Mark. Thank you for producing such a wonderful and insightful podcast. I've been listening to Star Wars podcasts for years now and found yours a couple of months back. I wanted to postpone writing to you guys until after I've listened to the majority of your episodes. By the way, this is the first time I've found the courage to write to a podcast. I've had many, many opinions, agreeing and many times disagreeing with you guys, during each of your episodes, and I should have written them down so I can address some of them in this email, but alas, I did not. So, like you guys, I just love the expanded universe. I have all the books, except for Junior Jedi Knights, Anakin's Quest, which continues to elude me at a fair price, comic books, mostly in trade paperback because I only recently got into collecting the comics, and reference guides, including multiple copies of some. I got starships on my ceiling, posters everywhere, you get the picture. And I'm a fangirl. I've always hoped that would make being a diehard Star Wars fan more impressive, but it really hasn't. I've never actually personally met anyone, male or female, who loves Star Wars like I do. I know that the fan community of amazing people is out there, but I, even though I live in a big city, only have one EU-loving Star Wars friend. So that's why I just love that you guys and others have podcasts out there to really expand on our love for everything Star Wars, particularly the EU. For years. I'm in university now and started reading novels about ten years ago, so I was pretty young. I didn't even know that the whole categorization of the expanded universe existed. I just knew that it was all Star Wars, all part of that wonderful long, long chronology that I spend hours and hours poring over, memorizing, and enjoying. It was only until a couple of years ago, when I tried, unsuccessfully, to enter into the online Star Wars community, it's so hard to keep up and enter into conversations on forum sites and such, that I discovered that there was such a category as EU. Although I did know about the g canon level previously, that was probably actually around the time the Clone Wars movie came out, for obvious reasons. Anyway. My point here is that I just love everything that EU has put out there. Yes, I have had some problems with certain stories I found boring when I read them as a young teenager, like The Crystal Star, or some overused plots. But for the most part, I haven't been that critical of the novels. For example, I know you guys have mentioned that you aren't big fans of Timothy Zahn's latest works. I wholeheartedly disagree. Of course, I love Zahn stuff from the Bantam era, but the first Star Wars adult novel I read was Survivor's Quest. And because of that, it's one of my favorite Star Wars books. I love the mystery, suspense, and the thrill of being at the edge of known space. Of course, Mara Jade is kick-ass, and as a woman, I look particularly at the representation of females in the saga. It was a great adventure, and a great entry point for me into the huge timeline of novels and comics. My favorite series has come to be the Republic Commando series, and yes, I guess I can be considered a Fandalorian. I also agree with Mark. Koran Horn all the way. He is super awesome. You guys are also awesome and I love hearing your different perspectives on each aspect of the saga. I will keep track of my thoughts and opinions on each of your episodes from now on, and send you an email every now and then. After all, you guys are always talking about email for a feedback episode, so I hope you don't mind. It's nice to be able to explore and really pick apart the debate, the galaxy far, far away, and I'm glad you guys do that on your show. I'm incredibly sorry for this long letter. I suppose I've had all these thoughts pent up until now. Thank you so much, and may the Force be with you. Sincerely, Timea Taliber from Washington State.
1: Never be sorry. We love these long emails. And it's not even that long. We've had others that are longer. Uh, You know, there's some things I I highlighted here that that I love. You know, the courage to write. You know, keep it up. First off, foremost, keep that up. Uh, You know, you say you should have wrote them down. You can always put a comment in on one of those episodes if you're you know, finding the episodes on Facebook, you know, you could go that route or in the comment section of the actual post themselves. Anytime it goes to the website, you know, I or Bethany or Riley will forward them ahead to us anyway. So we, we, you know, they're always, always coming to Nathan is basically what happens. Nathan ends up getting them for some reason. They don't always come to me. I am seeing more of them than in the past, but so Nathan will then collect them and we put them here. So they are all being found and, and kept. And that's why we're doing these back to back like this because we definitely want to get caught up. Um, and I and I love the fact that you have all these books like like us i it, i have the same issue i never meet anyone on outside the online community that's as obsessed with me i'm the guy that people come to to get the books i mean i have a couple friends that used to come and get all the books and they'd read all the books that i had but they kind of fell off around fate of the jedi uh no legacy of the force it was actually legacy of the force that, that they uh dropped away i they haven't i haven't seen them in a while and uh when we do see each other it's like they're like, oh what's going on now you know i mean because families get in the way and stuff but I, even when I run into people from the 501st, uh, you know, there's, there's differences in our fandoms. I mean, most of the people I know from the 501st are a lot of movie fans, haven't really read many, maybe occasional comics. Um, in fact, I would say most of them are, are movies and comics only fans. Very few of them read the books that I've come across. Uh, and that's not saying that that's a, a, a generalization. That's just where I'm at. And I, it's not a big of a city, but it's big enough. It's bigger than where I used to be. Um, and getting to the entering online communities and having a hard time there i too have had issue with that uh you know when i first went to go online it was uh, starwars.com those forums was that was my first home I tried doing the force.net and I, I, I always found every time I went there, I would get into arguments with people. Or I found that mostly it felt like people were picking arguments with the way I was looking at things, trying to tell me, well, this didn't happen because it didn't happen only in the films and because it didn't happen only in the films, well, it didn't exist. And it was like, I really got sick of coming across with, and I, I will say this in a negative light, but that's because of my interactions with them. But the mu, the movie purist attitude. Uh, I, I had a lot of negative conflicts with those. It was, it's was it got to be the movies or nothing else. Nothing else matters. And, I don't know. It just left such a foul taste in my mouth that it took me a long time to really get into the online community. But luckily for me, it was, it was StarWars.com's forums. Uh, in fact, that's where I first met Nathan. Um, you know, I knew Nathan as as the fan who made it, you know, the, the one that, you know, they, they'd always put that the promo out there. Don't ask us to write a book. We'll contact you. And then yet, boom, Nathan was one of the few that was able to do it. And I was like, wow, you know, hey, anything is possible anymore, you know, and I don't know. It was, a, it was an eye opening experience to, to Get into the online communities because from there I ended up discovering the podcasts and stuff like that and getting involved. And once you get involved in the online community, that's when things get a lot more fun. When you're no longer just throwing out an attitude, you're actually contributing posts and and other things like that, or or just looking over a forum. And you know, once you start doing more things and you're interacting with all the other fans, it, it takes on a whole different light. Then it's no longer such a negative thing. Now you're actually more willing to look past the the conflict of the way people are coming at you and asking them to ask you it in a different way and getting past the negativity that that may either be there or or just be what you're perceiving you know that kind of stuff because i know a lot of times like i will say something and people will take it wrong you know they'll 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 be like thinking I said, you know, George Lucas sucks. And it's like, well, no, no, no. What I meant was George Lucas sucked in this one regard and, you know, everything else is still awesome. I just I really didn't like that one regard, you know, but of course, you know, when you're tweeting things like that, especially you only have 140 characters that I mean, Twitter's a whole different monster there. You know, I I, I liken Twitter to online forums with, you know, I, I put something up on Twitter and nine out of ten times it's being taken out of context, so you know that that's one of those things where I understand the the unsuccessfulness of trying to enter the online community. Uh, it, it isn't the best, um, but when it comes to you know Zon and and what we refer to as Zon's latest works, um, I've actually I, I I enjoyed Zon's older stuff. Most of the stuff Nathan actually dislikes, like Survivor's Quest and stuff. I enjoyed those. Um, the the more recent book that that we read, uh, Scoundrels. Nathan enjoyed. And I actually didn't like it, so it was kind of like a flip on that. Where, uh, you know, I like the older stuff, but the newer stuff really wasn't that good for me. And for Nathan, it was more like a return to the old. And for me, it was a realization that while I enjoyed Air of the Emperor* for the story, I didn't really care for those books so much due to do the way those ones were written. Whereas uh, Survivor's Quest and and uh, Outbound Flight, I enjoyed those ones more, um, which is weird. I know Nathan's probably like, what?
0: That's funny. He talks about the the, the lack of fans around I got to be honest with you, that kind of is the same situation I found myself in. I thought I was kind of unusual with this because I'm pretty much a a homebody in a lot of respects, mainly because between Mm -hmm. migraines and IBS and other health issues I've got, you know, going out of the house and spending a lot of time just kind of going out and hanging out sometimes can be very difficult for me medically, Um, which is – I don't know if that's something that people knew about me or not, but hey, now you know. but I think that's the same kind of thing that I ran into. I, when I was in Evansville, Indiana, my hometown, I lived there uh, from the time I was born up until 2002. It was, it was, I guess, July or August of 2002, whenever I moved down to uh, Fairburn, Georgia. I've been there since then uh, with my teaching career and all. But I knew some fans in my neighborhood who were friends when I was very, very young. Beyond that, though, especially once the EU really got going... There weren't nearly that many people around that I knew who was really into it. And then I wound up working at this gigantic comic shop. I mean, I'm used to most comic shops being relatively small. The one around here that Jody's dad owned was like the size of, basically the size of one of our bathrooms or closets. I mean, very, very small room uh, in a bigger building. But this is a gigantic, what's called Comic Quest. I think it's still ComicQuest.com up in Evansville, Indiana. A huge place. And you would run into people who were of the same interests, but even then, I didn't run into that many people who were heavily into the novels and the comics. I ran into a lot of people who were into Star Wars in general, uh, and even collecting the toys and whatnot, but usually the EU was something where they either picked and chose, or they just really weren't into it at all, which I found kind of unusual at the time. Around that time, I was getting into, uh, in 97, I started up the Timeline Gold and whatnot. I wound up actually starting podcasting with Chrono Radio about what, two months, I guess, before I moved down here to Georgia, and that was after meeting a lot of people in forums online to connect with about Star Wars, but in person, not that much. Ironically, it was right around the time that I was moving that a young man by the name of Cole Horton in that area got involved in uh, trying to bring people together as like a Star Wars fan club in that area to meet at the comic shop, Um, and he went on to eventually found... Uh, that area's Star Wars fan club wound up um, working with the 501st Legion and such. Uh, ironically, I think if I if I'm understanding correctly, because I haven't spoke to him in, in quite a while, I think he also went to school for a similar thing. I went for social studies education. I think he went for history, though, at a different college, still in Indiana. Um, but he kind of like like built up a lot of stuff there. But it was right after I left when it really got going. Uh and at that point, you know, I was 22 heading out, he was probably 16, 17 years old because I know there was a, a, an age gap between us there. And then when I got a chance to write for Tales, I was already living in Georgia. So then here comes the release of the comic finally. I'm excited and we spend a lot of time trying to coordinate between the different groups so that there could be this event at the comic shop where I used to work. Not only, you know, going there, but worked there for a while doing their eBay auctions and such so that there would be this signing the signing event for the comic, it was gonna be great. The first time anybody working there had a published comic, etc, cetera, et cetera, Big, big deal kind of thing. So we go up there, and it's gonna be during a Christmas trip for me, because I used to visit my family on Christmas every single year, only to wind up driving up and getting there amidst the worst snowstorm that Evansville, Indiana had seen in years. Like, I couldn't drive myself oh, to the no. comic shop because I was in a Mustang and would have slid off the road. I don't, I think that was the time I couldn't even get the Mustang out of our driveway at that point. So my sister picks me up in her SUV, takes me all the way across town to it, and of course nobody's there except the people that work there because it's a freaking blizzard. Um, well, no, kind of falling apart. So I never all really right. did get a chance to sort of reconnect, uh, with the group up there, but it would have been cool to see something larger in terms of sci-fi, and especially Star Wars fandom, in my hometown. And now, since I've been down here, I mean, I've gotten people that I know into some of this stuff, but from the standpoint just of running into people who happen to be as into it as I am, uh, or even close, I usually don't. Uh, My students, uh, a lot of times, have interests that lie in some similar things, like, say, a general sci-fi, or in uh, gaming. But from a Star Wars perspective, in a lot of ways, that seems to have slipped them by. I have a lot of students who show up to the school wearing Star Wars T-shirts. And if their character's on there other than the movie characters, most of the time they couldn't even tell you who the character is on their shirt. They just thought it <laughs> looked cool. So, so yeah, you're you're definitely not alone when it comes to being a fan who sort of is an island unto themselves where it's the online community that gives us that sense of connectivity and fandom we know there are star wars fans everywhere doesn't seem to ever be right next to where we are well i'm always
1: told like like my wife's friends oh my husband's such a star wars fan you go we got to introduce you and and then of course you know like i'll I'll meet him and it's like yeah they're 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 star wars fans but they wouldn't themselves call themselves big star wars fans or compared to me they're like no i'm not really not not like you
0: or worse yet they're like yeah yeah, my, my husband, he's such a huge Star Wars fan. You should meet and stuff. He has everything. You know, he's got like a model of the Enterprise and all. <laughs> Which is usually what I get. You know, it's the, it's the live long and prosper. Uh, may the force be with you, young Harry Potter kind of thing. Like all those like, mixed match things you see on Facebook.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, another thing, though, I wanted to comment on real quick. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, the Republic Commando series and being a Phandalorian. You know, I, I admit. I, I'm there with you. I'm Fandalorian. I loved those series. I loved those books. I loved the perspective. Uh, I, I know some people have complained in the past of how it was like fan service, but honestly, I, I truly think from reading the book as one of the fans being serviced, every fan needs to be serviced from time to time. They they need to have their fan service book. A book you can go in and have a, a, a smile on your face by the time you're done.
0: Yeah, I did like those. I wasn't as big a fan of... Uh of Hard Contact originally. I just wasn't quite sure where they were going with it, but I liked it. i um, definitely a big fan going into Triple uh, Zero and whatnot and I really dug Triple uh, Zero, really liked True Colors, liked Order 66 except for the fact that she took it upon herself to try to change all the dates for the events, which fortunately I was able to basically kind of change back when the Essential Atlas came around and we had to to sort of force the issue talking to Leland Chi about, well, are we going to go with the the dates used for every other source on the planet, or are we going with the one she used for Order 66? Um, and i got to tell you, I was really impressed by Imperial Commando 501st's use of time travel. Wait, that wasn't a time loop, it was just the same <laughs> damn conversation over and over again? My bad, never mind.
1: Well, see, okay. And, and I hear that complaint a lot, but I really, truly think what she was trying to do there was address those that have hated on her stuff for so long that misinterpreted things in the first book. So she was trying to put it out there in a way that they would get. I was like, okay, you missed it the first four books. So I'm going to go over it one last time and I'm going to try to make it fit where it doesn't feel like I'm browbeating you over the head. But of course it didn't. It did come across like, okay, really? Are we going over this again? But that's where I kind of rationalized it. I I mean, for me, it was like, yeah, OK, we've, we've heard this before. But also when you're catching up on so many books from the Bantam era, especially, it seems like you have that moment of, OK, we're going to relive that last book one more time. Right.
0: <laughs> now, it, Imperial Commando 501st, the, the closest thing to that reading style, to that writing style um, for that book, because I really like the other ones. But, man, that one felt like it went in circles. Um, was just recently I finished reading A Feast for Crows and then A Dance with Dragons, the latter two books thus far in the Saga of Ice and Fire, a.k.a. Game of Thrones series. And not so much the last book, but in that fourth book, there are so many characters that need to have their plots moved along that as you bounce between them, they are constantly saying the same things, and reiterating the same points over and over and over again. It was a crescent moon. The moon was a crescent. A moon shaped like a crescent, all in maybe one segment. Um, But you hear the same things over and over again. A book that winds up being hundreds of pages could have been at least a couple hundred pages shorter without all the repeats. You reach a point where you're reading and you're like, I get it! Oh my god, I get it! Can we please move on? Um, Fortunately, A Dance with Dragons wasn't nearly as bad at that, even though it was still... 43 story pages before you get into the massive 70 or whatever page index of, of noble houses and crap in the back um, <laughs> I don't know I just if a book is going to be long it needs to justify that length that's part of the problem that I have with stuff like Outbound Flight you know it just it didn't have enough content to justify the enormous length of the book if they had just streamlined it down and not filled it up with the fluff and the repetitive stuff and sometimes a little too much fan service but I guess that's that's just. Well, a question and that's
1: that's also a fan service in a different regard because they when they fluff those up, that people are like, well, it's the, they're just the publishing end is kind of combating those complaints about those small books that we had there for a while. So we're just going to fluff these books up a little bit more, and then you have the opposite of that. Well, now they're too big. And, I mean, I.
0: Oh, I'm a, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that because uh, of Into the Void. Having just finished reading Into the Void, even with a, an excerpt from Crucible and a comic book excerpt that says it's from Prisoner of Bogan issue number one when it's really from issue number two uh, and a short story in there that's going to be appearing an insider that was stuck into the end of the hardback of Into the Void instead of waiting for the paperback that books less than 300 pages long. People are going to be bringing back up the whole issue of you know does it need to be as long as it needs to be to fit the story or is there a certain amount of pages of content that we expect to be able to justify the price tag. Because Into yeah. the Void is one of the shortest Star Wars novels that I've seen in a long time, it feels like.
1: Well, and, and you'll get that aspect of, well, it, it, it should have went out as a paperback only. You know, I mean, there's that side of it too. And and I'm still a big, huge proponent of they should release all formats at once and really see which one sells the most.
0: Yeah, I just picked it up here. It's exactly 300 pages, not counting the about the type page, But that's including the excerpt from Crucible and everything else packed into it. It is a relatively short one, but we'll talk about that in a future episode. Uh, Speaking of emails, to move us back to our point, uh, Eric Duhamel writes, Going by Nathan's description of the official order of episodes and counting the Clone Wars movie as four separate episodes, there are 56 episodes of the Clone Wars that take place before the time jump. If the show is over now that season five is completed, 56 is exactly half of the total 112 episodes. I can't help but wonder if this is a coincidence or part of some plan. Also, if the Clone Wars has ended, and bear in mind he sent this when it wasn't certain, there is left a mysterious gap of time somewhere in the middle. Given that previous Clone Wars era material is supposed to be squished to either side, this leaves the gap somewhat empty. I can't help wondering if this is part of a plan too. Were they going to put something there? Are they going to try retconning and fitting some previously existing Clone Wars material there? Just some ponderings of mine.
1: Yes, there was a plan. The plan was let's follow George Lucas's vision. And George is a fickle, fickle man who changes his mind a lot. And so everything else is coincidence.
0: You know, I don't know. I don't know if there really was an intention to do that with the, the episode split. Because remember, at one point they said there was going to be approximately 100. So I'm not sure if that was something where they actually planned for 56 prior, 56 afterwards, or if it just happened to turn out that way. Um, as for part of being, a, or being part of a plan, the time jump and all, I, I think it was part of a plan in the sense that they wanted to give a time gap so that the characters could be older and they could move closer to Revenge of the Sith before the series ended. I don't think there was necessarily a plan involved to say, hey, this is how we can fix some of the EU stuff. Now that it's done, though, will they probably fix some of the EU stuff like that? Yeah, probably. They'll probably wind up taking some of the stuff that doesn't have to revolve around Obi-Wan or Anakin and their situations and things that the Clone Wars cartoon actually affected, and maybe still slip them into the middle, maybe in their original positions, with the stuff that is directly affected by it or by those particular characters squished into the beginning uh, or ending chunks of the Clone Wars on either side of the series. but. Uh, I don't know, I, I have a hard time believing that this was something that they planned ahead of time, unless they really didn't plan on a sixth season ever, because if that were the case, then yes, the 112 episode total would still have stayed the same, and that would be the middle point getting slashed, but... They had episodes already being produced and episodes pushed back from being produced for season five. They were supposed to be part of a season six. That's where we're getting that bonus material and stuff like the Clovis arc was supposed to go. So coincidence, probably more so than plan, in my opinion.
1: Well, and, and I think the plan issue here, I think the reason why we question it is Filoni. Was it not Filoni who said that they would keep going with the Clone Wars as long as there was people that wanted it, as long as there was a desire, a demand for it? And that is after we were already told that we're going to do 100 episodes. I mean, if that comment about we're going to keep going would have never hit the Internet, with it wrapping up like this, they could have said this was all part of the plan from the start, and we would have bought that. But somewhere along the line, he said, no, we're going to keep going. And remember, this is Star Wars,
0: where the original plan was Star Wars as one film. Then it was Star Wars as 12 films with A New Hope as number one. Then it was Star Wars as nine films with A New Hope as number four then he had always only planned for six. So it's not like anything that we hear from Lucas in terms of what his plan always was for anything is something that uh, ever stays set in stone for very long.
1: Uh, yeah, in in fact, that has always been a common thing on forums. Uh, what Lucas said when. And it was always like... People going back, researching, finding older dates to throw out there. See, Lucas said back here in 1980-something-something that this all-you stuff was all going to count. It was all part of the same canon. Well, at this date, Lucas said this, and that went against what he said. There. Well, then again, on this date, he said this, and that goes against that, which agrees with this. You and- know, Lucas, in-, in that sense,
0: he reminds me very much of someone who is a serial divorcee or serial marrier, a uh, serial husband or wife. It's the... Uh, I promise, blah, 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 I do. And then a few years later, yeah, I don't love you anymore. Then I do. Then I don't love you anymore. He's constantly changing his mind, and what he said may be true to him at that time. What gets me is the fact that so often he would say things like that always ever planned for six, where he is flat out not saying I've changed my mind from before. It's him saying that, you know, who are you going to believe? Me or your lying eyes and that huge archive of previous quotes of mine. It's where he tries to insult our intelligence by saying, what you used to know, what I said years ago, never existed, never happened. That's when it starts to annoy the living crap out of me. Because until he invents a time machine to be able to go back and shut himself up from making those comments, (laughs) those comments are outright intellectually dishonest and utterly disingenuous. And it causes me... As much as I respect his creativity in most respects, and I'm amazed by what he was able to do in terms of changing filmmaking, that is one element of his personality and his professionalism um, that really have caused me to have doubts about the man. You know, you'd like to think that someone um, who is sort of an icon, a role model in so many other respects, should be able to live up to that standing. But just as everyone is going to have some kind of flaws, his flaws tend to be that he wants to always be consistent in his inconsistency which doesn't make any damn sense whatsoever.
1: Well and for me as an EU fan as the defender of the EU, you know, me me and Riley have had lots of talks because Riley's one of those that would prefer Star Wars from Lucas's vision and like I said to him I mean I've come across other people that say the only Star Wars is Lucas's vision and then we'll sit there and and deride and derile the EU, and call it nothing but fan fiction and junk and crap and this, that, and the other thing, and yet it's like, you do realize that this man's vision changes hourly. Like, I remember times where he said, I have no plans for anything post-Return of the Jedi, and I was thinking, I'm clear, I'm good, my EU on the post end is good to go, I am good, I'm solid, right on, George, oh, A mess with it.
0: I just realized, listening to your impression of Lucas just now, doesn't that <laughs> sound a lot like... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. <laughs> Do, maybe it's the voice. Maybe it's that in, it's the Clinton-esque inability to say something and have it stick. But in those cases, he was flat out lying. Lucas may change his mind <laughs> quite a bit, but uh, I don't think that Clinton was changing his mind on whether he had sexual relations with that woman. Um, anyway, uh, we have three more to go. Uh, Forrest Bizant says... Hey guys, I'm bringing back a question I asked you on your Facebook page wall earlier, now that Mark is finished reading Revan. I love KOTOR 2, despite its terrible ending. I thought the characters were great, the plotline was rich, and the character development was very deep, at least in terms of the exile. As much as I love the book Revan, I was hoping it would help shed some light on what's canon and what's not in terms of the companions in KOTOR 2. You guys probably noticed that most of the characters in KOTOR 2 weren't even mentioned, even on Wikipedia. They are unsure of these characters' fates. Seeing how they've pretty much set a detailed canon version for the first KOTOR, do you think the EU is giving us an opportunity to believe what we want about the characters to allow us to fill in the gaps in our own way? For instance, depending on your choices in the game, Vesas could either sacrifice herself while fighting Nihilus, or she could survive. Just a thought. Maybe they'll come out with novels about the companions whose fates are clouded. How cool would that be? The way I see it, this is the same as the Clone Wars might end up. We might have to come up with our own fan-made conclusions to Darth Maul and Captain Rex. What do you guys think of this?
1: Well, if they were going to go with a novel, what I would like to see is Zane Carrot come across them. I mean, come on, let's let's see it. Put him in a novel. There you go, Zane in a novel with them. You can tie it all up. Ooh, well, yeah, let's do that.
0: Yeah, especially since that we know that that uh, John Jackson Miller is good at the, the the world building and such, and connecting these together in novel and uh, novella form with the Lost Tribe of the Sith stuff. Um, but I gotta be honest here, anything that goes into the fan-made conclusions, I have to say no to as much as possible, because that is where you get all the uh, fanon stuff, Uh, the fan-generated canon, the fan fiction and such, and people will base, or personal canon, you might call it, um, people will base their argumentation, their discussion, on what they believe to be true what they claim is true what they make up as they go along as true this is why with the old republic encyclopedia saying when the old republic video game starts and leland chi having confirmed that at least through email i, I haven't seen him post it anywhere um, with that date being the one that is now in print as the firm beginning point of the old republic sites like wikipedia still use the old dates they refuse to believe the new one uh, the one that flat out says this is where it begins. Um, and that leads you into disingenuous, intellectually dishonest territory. Because you could have a discussion based around facts that are either not in evidence, or are flat out wrong. Or at least superseded by something that happened later. Um, I don't want to see fans saying, well, this is what I think happened to Darth Maul afterwards, so here's where we're going to go with it. See, Darth Maul was actually killed by Sidious. That's why he doesn't show up later. How do you know that? Where are you getting this? Where are you making this no, stuff up? No, he's
1: in a prison. He's in Darth Plagueis' museum because that's what I, the defender that you said, happened. This reminds me of
0: something that I was looking up earlier. I forget what it was. There was something I was looking up, and I had to sort of crowdsource it because I was looking for it, and Wikipedia was saying that it was in the – I forget who uh, – it bugs me trying to figure out who this was – um, I want to say it was a Junta Paul, maybe, or Tulak Horde or something like that, um, in the background of the Sith, and they were saying over there, and had it sourced, that it was first seen in the New Essential Chronology. And people were using the New Essential Chronology as their backing of saying, see, this character's existed this far back, so there must have been a plan for them. So we crowdsourced it. I read through the book, skimmed through it again, so did Eddie Van Der so did several other people who go to the, the Facebook page for the Star Wars Timeline Gold, which does exist, by the way, if you haven't checked it out. Um, And we looked through that book. It's mentioned nowhere in there. He was not created for that book or by the creators of that book. He wasn't there, and their entire argument was based on, see, it goes all the way back to this book, because somebody put in an incorrect reference and didn't take it down. Now, eventually, they did take it down when somebody brought this up and some big hubbub was made of it. But they're basing an entire discussion around, as you would say, bullsith. You have to be intellectually honest. And at this point, making fandom conclusions about what happens to certain characters is just as bad, I think, as just, you know, inserting anything that we want to be true. Like, oh, Dark Empire was really just a dream, or part of Dark Empire was just a dream. Uh, Waru, the anti-force being, is actually Ahsoka's love child with Savage Press, or something, right? It doesn't make any logical sense to do that, and you clutter up the conversation. It's cool to speculate, but not to bring that in as... Hold card fact, uh, cold hard fact, which yeah. is what a lot of fans wind up doing when they try to pull that type of thing out. Until we get an official word from Lucasfilm, there is no official word. Now, I will say that for at least some of the characters in KOTOR 2, I think we sort of have an official word. And that we're told that the light side ending is the way that it's supposed to have panned out. So in theory, the best decisions get made throughout the game. Which you would think means that the best outcomes worked out for those characters. But beyond anything we see in A Guide to Characters, with that new one coming out, for instance, um, we probably don't have much in the way of an official word, and may not get much in the way of an official word, until somebody else uses them in a story, as Forrest there suggests. But fan speculation being used to wrap up all these storylines? You gotta
1: be careful with that. You know, and... One of the things that did irritate me about the second half was that lack of mention. You know, as we mentioned in the episode where we went over the first half, uh, I really liked how the first half gave us references. They were small. Uh, We had everybody but Karth. Everybody was named but Karth. I mean, granted, even Karth was forgotten about in the first half. The second half, though, I I don't know. I mean, you felt like there was a lot of rich character development deep in terms of the exile. I felt like they did go into the exile but not as much as what they did with Revan, that they really could have gone in more for her and in doing so brought in those other characters. So I I felt like that was like a missed opportunity there.
0: And we wrap up with two emails from Bill Thompson. The first. Hey guys, my question concerns the upcoming films. I know that you guys deal mainly with the EU, but to be honest, your podcast is my favorite Star Wars podcast and I find you guys to be the most rational in your thinking, so I wanted your input. Elsewhere in Star Wars fandom, I see people getting super excited about Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill being back for the sequels. Am I alone in not being excited whatsoever for those actors returning? I'm a huge movie buff. And to be honest, I haven't seen a decent live-action performance out of any of those actors in going on 10 years now. Their recent body of work doesn't give me any hope for them in doing their former characters justice. I'm wondering if anyone else embedded in Star Wars fandom thinks this way, or if I'm completely alone. Cheers, Bill Thompson.
1: Well, I mean, okay, let, let's take the oh, what was his name? The Jimmy Kimmel and Harrison Ford with Chewy debacle. Okay, that was fun. I liked it. I thought it was fun. But that was also Harrison Ford's recent playing of uh, Good Morning or Sunny Side. It was a TV show thing that he did. It was a movie, but he was supposed to be like some anchor on a TV show, and uh, Rachel McAdams brought him on the show. And but that was exactly what he played. I'm exactly in that same boat with you. Uh Seriously, Bill, I, I, when I look at an older Han Solo, I had always envisioned, and I, and people disagree with me on this, but I've always envisioned, envisioned Dennis Quaid. That's always been my elder Han Solo, not Harrison Ford. Uh And the fact that they've always gone out of their way on the covers to make sure that they were close to the original Harrison Ford at the age he was when he made those films, but not how he looks as an adult. They've gone out of their way to make sure that that did not happen. And so therefore, I, I just I, I've never seen those as as those people. Mark Hamill, I could see him doing it um, just because I, I do see that character as as Hamill forever and ever. Amen. But Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, I just don't see them as those characters anymore. Um, You know, it, it, you mentioned also, you know, we mainly deal with the EU. You know it, it is funny though we, we do uh, we are considered the EU podcast of Star Wars Report, but we do deal with more than just the EU. I mean we're just kind of like when I look at the EU, I don't just limit myself to only the EU. The EU is the expanded universe of Star Wars, so I take in everything Star Wars and beyond and that's why I love our title so much.
0: Honestly I'm not sure that I would want to see any of the three back. I mean it might be interesting to see briefly if it's like a cameo or something. And not even necessarily based on, uh, I'm not drawing this conclusion based necessarily on the acting prowess of any of them. They just don't really, to me, the way they have aged doesn't look the way that I would expect the Star Wars characters to have aged or to be as we head into another series of films. Um, the, the the joke, and it's a cruel joke, but it's at least moderately leaning in the right direction, is that if Carrie, uh, Carrie Fisher was to be Uh, Cast for episode seven, there was a point at which she might have needed to be cast as an Ortolan or a Hut. Um, Now, granted, that's kind of over the top, but she doesn't have the the type of action butt kicking type of look that Leia had. Uh, Harrison Ford doesn't have the swashbuckling look that Harrison Ford had back when he was playing Han Solo at the time. These guys are much older. I mean, hell, the movie was released in '77. The closest you could get is maybe Hamill because he needs to be significantly aged in order to make it make sense for him to be like a wise Jedi Master type of figure. But yeah, I would much rather have someone else perhaps reprising the role and maybe have them uh, made to look very much like the other actors. I mean, heck, they did a Mm. great job with Ewan McGregor um, tying him into Alec Guinness. Um, it's like if they do like a young Han Solo film, I really hope they use Nathan Fillion to do it. Uh, if they can pull him away from Castle oh. for a while. But, I don't know. I mean, barring minor appearances, I don't really see it. I mean, of course, I'm one who thinks they should never have made Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Because Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, to me, no longer worked in that film. Bad enough as that film was. Travesty that in many cases it was, and I, refer you back to the south park episode um i have to say um he really looked like he was just stretching it and kind of phoning it in throughout that film as indiana jones like he was like yeah i'm back because george and and steven asked me to so whatever uh i, I just don't see it i don't see it working well Uh, Unless they're in a minor role, or mostly just a speaking role. The way that they did, J.J. Abrams did an amazing job with Leonard Nimoy as older Spock in the Star Trek reboot back in 2009. But even then, older Spock looks like he got the crap kicked out of him because Leonard Nimoy is a really old guy at this point. They used him as sort of a handing off of the torch to Zachary Quinto as Spock and to give some legitimacy to Chris Pine and Zoe Saldana and Simon Pegg and that whole cast of new people portraying these familiar characters. Um, Something small? Sure. Massive roles for these actors as their old characters? I don't think it's going to go over. I think it's going to have a Phantom Menace type of effect on the way people look at these new films.
1: Well, and, and, you know, if they did cast them as other roles, minor roles, I think that would be more insulting to everyone. But I I think that this is also another one of those fan services. I mean, you know, we're going to put them in there just because people think that they should be. Think about the EU, and I'm not saying that these films should be like the EU, but the EU has had a, has had a, a, a constant pushing of the bar of 80 is the new 60, or 60 is the new 40, and each new book comes out. Han and Leia get a little older, but they're still acting 40, and so there's that side of it where even though they're 80... They're acting like they're 40, and yet everybody's going, well, they're all the right age now to play themselves as old people. It's like, not if you were following the EU. Granted, I'm not saying that the movie should, but in that regard, now we're going in the backwards result because to have these people still be it and to have that fan service, well, now old 80-year-old Luke has to be an 80-year-old Luke. He can't be an 80-year-old Luke that's actually a 40-year-old Luke playing an 80-year-old or, you know, I don't know. It just gets a little confusing. Yeah, Chris Travas and his artwork and the...
0: Uh, The covers of the Japanese versions of a lot of the books, especially the New Jedi Order stuff, did a great job at aging these characters in a way that I think makes sense within the Star Wars saga. But the Star Wars saga is not real life. And I don't think that it's not going to turn out the way people expect if, if that's what they're going for. That leaves us with our last email for this pair of feedback episodes, also from Bill Thompson, but more recently. He says, Hey guys. I wanted to send you some feedback, slash, ask you a question about the Jedi as portrayed in the Star Wars universe. Unlike you guys, I am 100% anti-Jedi, so maybe some of my bias is coming through in this question. But have you ever been bugged by the contradictory way in which the Jedi explore the Force? In countless EU works, and even in the films slash Clone Wars, we hear about how the Jedi are always seeking to better understand and live in the Force. Yet, any time that a member of the Jedi explores the Force and comes away with a decidedly non-Jedi view, The Jedi shut him or her down, and more often than not, kick him or her out of the Order. Sure, this was more prevalent in the Old Order, but even in Luke's Order, there's a decided hypocrisy in the way the Jedi explore the Force. I think what gets me most is how the Jedi so willingly condemn the Sith, or the Potentium, and so on. They willingly condemn these as false approaches to the Force, yet they never truly allow the Force to be explored, as they always shut down and expel anyone who explores the Force in a non-Jedi way. I could go on and on. This is a topic that vexes me quite often, I was wondering if you guys would care to weigh in on the hypocrisy of the way the Jedi explore the Force. Cheers, Bill Thompson.
1: Well, the Sith tell lies through truth, and Sidious was talking about how the Jedi have a dogmatic view of the Force. They truly do. I, I, I want to say, uh, in the Last Jedi here, there's even a scene where, uh, Jax is thinking back, and Loranth was talking about how you know you can. Follow the force or follow tradition and that one does not always lead to the other. And that, you know, sometimes Jax needs to let go of the lightsaber and use the force because he's a Jedi. And just because every Jedi has a lightsaber, that doesn't mean that that has to be the tool that they always use. Um, so, you know, there there is that aspect of that the Jedi are somewhat flawed. Uh, at least that's how I've always come across. I mean, I, I was really upset when Jason Solo became a Sith because I truly thought that we were finally going to get to an evolution in the Jedi. We were going to get beyond something that what, what, what you're kind of pointing out, drawing attention to here, because that was what I thought they were doing with all the new Jedi order. But at the end of it, we find out really what they were kind of doing is Luke was resetting his order to be more like Yoda's order. And I I truly think that was the whole, we got to get back to Lucas's original vision. The EU is getting too far away from that. Let's reset the clock a little bit by having everything with Jason and all that be wrong. And then, okay, boom, their problem solved. And I, that left a bad taste in my mouth because it really, I've been looking forward to a Punisher version of a Jedi one that walks in that, that, punishing aspect of the vengeance, the Avenger style, you know? And yet, even in the New Jedi Order, when when Kip was calling himself the Avenging, or Kip's dozen Avengers, you know, they were like, well, that's not the Jedi way. It's like, why can't it be? Why can't you have a Jedi that walks that line?
0: I have to say, I, I agree with the idea that they are very dogmatic. I think the reason why they're so dogmatic and so against those views tends to be where they've seen things wind up turning up. Because plenty True. of times, you know, people who wind up with those views wind up creating something tragic. Whether we're talking about Zendor or we're talking about, uh, Darth Ruin slash Phanias, um, it's one of those things where there are, maybe there's not a right way to view the force, but there are certain ways of viewing the force that they have seen be destructive in the past. And as such, they want to try to shut that down. But it's very much like in American politics, where because we've seen where Socialism and communism went when taken to an extreme in places like the Soviet Union, or the former Soviet Union, um, China, North Korea, Vietnam, uh, Cuba. There's this sense that anytime you insert any level of socialism, which our system has had you know, pretty much since the beginning, but especially since the New Deal um, with Franklin Roosevelt and eventually Social Security and all, um, there's a sense that if, as soon as you start talking about socialized anything, you can't use the word. Because as soon as that concept enters the picture, you're heading us down the road to destruction, the road to communism, or to socialism, the road to the American democracy disappearing. Um, I tend to be someone who is relatively libertarian in many ways. And at the same time, you know, I try to see the, the validity in either side's argument to see where uh, they're coming from and not just demonize either side. Um, but that is very much the way that politics tends to work. And the Jedi, in a sense, are playing politics with the force. now. That is not to say that they always have. You are going to say, I I, I think I can say this, Um, you're going to find that as relatively light as we have seen any of the references to the use of the Force in the Dawn of the Jedi comics, it would cause us to look at them significantly differently than we look at the Jedi, right, the Jedi versus the Jedi. Um, I think Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void is going to open a lot of people's eyes to the way that that era's Jedi, the precursors to the Jedi Order, uh, look at the Force, handle the Force, uh, react and act with it, it's a very different perspective. I mean, even if you go to something as simplistic as, these Jedi carry swords, and they're willing to use them, and we're not talking automatic cauterization anymore. We're talking lots of blood and guts. Um, I think that book is going to be an eye-opener, and those who love the Jedi are going to get... Frustrated and angry, perhaps, um, not willing to necessarily connect to the fact that this is an earlier version with a very different philosophy. And those who hate the Jedi will find ammunition to use against those uh, who think the Jedi in the modern day are hypocritical. Um, but I don't know. I, I like the fact that Star Wars does give us multiple points of view with things like Karen Travis's novels and such and stuff like Dawn of the Jedi. Um, and even allows sometimes some disagreements in philosophy like Luke and Kip. It's just one of these things where they have a reason, at least, behind their dogmatic view, but the more you stick to one dogmatic view and and push away anyone who has any slight difference of opinion, the more you, in a sense, sort of create your own enemies. Um, you create mm-hmm. your own adversaries, and, you know, that's part of the nature of Star Wars. It's probably part of why the issue of the light side and dark side constantly in conflict is so cyclical, because each side does have somewhat of a... A dogmatic way of looking at things and and turning the other into the so-called capital O other of psychology.
1: Well, the Jedi are like the Avengers in Marvel. I mean, you know, there's a contingent of of people in the Marvel universe that see the Avengers as the bad because they're always fighting the villains. The villains get knocked down then the villains have to get stronger to take on the Avengers again kind of thing. You know, and, and we see that, too. I, I think of Star Trek with the eugenics war, uh, they banned eugenics and DNA manipulation for similar reasons. I mean, sure, the eugenics could have helped their galaxy, but the war proved to be it was a bad idea. So I could see in that regard why you would, would take it back. I mean, look at the Sith, the Sith that we casually think of as being the big, bad evils weren't so big, bad and evil until a couple Jedi who had gone dark, went and corrupted them. Jedi are actually the force behind all the darkness that have hit the galaxy time and time again. It sprung from the well of the Jedi originally. Uh, you know, when, when the New Jedi Order came out and there was that whole, uh, viger was talking about there is no dark side, uh, you know, and that, that being a huge issue with people, there were some that believed her, there were some that didn't. Uh, and I came away with the philosophy that both were right. That the living force did have a light and a dark side, but the greater force was perhaps not so much. That you know, there wasn't so a big, bad evil out to get you, but yet the force itself was that big, bad evil, and you were the one that could put yourself in there. So it was always there, even though it wasn't there. One of those it, it's a catch-22. And I I don't know, for someone who is studied it for so long to me that makes sense but I know that when I talk to other people it makes no sense to them like how can it be two things at the same time it's like because the force is anything and everything anything is possible I mean again going back to the last Jedi uh, Jax Bavon he sends out tendrils in the force when reaching out thinking of uh, Koran Horn you know he had his spheres of responsibility where his force sense you had like this envision of like a a half bowl put around him and everything inside that bowl he could feel where with Jax it's like he's got these tendrils like these like octopus arms reaching out snaking out and he could feel only with those and then again I get to uh, Kip and and Jaina and how they're each able to wipe people's minds and, and Kip had one technique to do it and Jaina envisioned a clock and was able to do it in a different way I mean there have always been multiple ways to get to different effects, force lightning being another one where you can have Poe Clune using uh force judgment, you know, a light side version or Jason and Luke who had their version where they can knock you out, you know, a, a nonviolent version yet is still considered a dark trait to a degree. And, you know, all these different aspects of it that they're all depending on how you look at it, how you use it, how you apply it can change what it does or how it
0: does it. It sounds to me in a lot of ways that the way that you, um, that, that you can sort of interpret the, the actions of Jedi versus the actions of Sith are very much like the way that George Carlin used to talk about the concept of uh, the way he, growing up Catholic, uh, sort of had to look at the idea of how intentions, wanting to commit a sin was the same as committing the sin, but that a sin was only a sin if there was essentially a conscious thought behind it. Which is the same way, for instance, that the law dis- distinguishes between, say, manslaughter or sometimes second degree murder versus first degree murder is it premeditated was it intended was it accidental etc etc um we cut we, we split hairs like that all the time in real life um you would have to imagine that in star wars that that splitting of hairs is going to make sense as well and i think that is something that perfectly fits in with the way that the jedi can use violence in order to do things and yet have violence be part of the heart of what sith believe is all about. Again, I, I can't wait for people to finally get a chance to read Into the Void, and start discussing the nuances of force use that emerge in that book, mm. and how they relate to later, uh, later Jedi.
1: Well, you know real quick before we leave this, uh, talking and touching on Luke's order, uh, you know, Luke's order. He's kind of like trying to redefine his way, find what Jedi were. I think the reason why we see Luke's order kind of go back to that, you know, I said a resetting also comes back to most of the stuff that he got. He got off the Chunto, you know, off of Dathomir. You know, he's got a lot of the the old curriculums and stuff like that. He also has Jedi around him that have survived this era of, of... Vima, uh, Ikrit, um, you know, th- there's a, there's a couple others out there that have come around. At some point, he's going to run into Kakruk as well. I mean, there are others out there, even even V'ger, You know, he's had people tell him, you know, hey, this happened, that didn't happen. This is what we did. This isn't what we did. I loved it when uh, when V'ger told him, you know, you've created a Jedi dynasty. You know, that was a, a great one as well. I mean, I've always wondered what those interactions were like, and it wasn't until we saw him and Vizier sit down that we had one of those. But he's been around other jedi from the old order long before that he's had them in his order so i mean those conversations have have to happen at some point i couldn't imagine luke just sitting around and not talking to these guys about hey what'd you guys do i'm trying to set up an order over here i got a school i need to know i mean could you really see him well you know i'm gonna reset i don't want to do anything after after searching for all this old information on the jedi and stuff no he's gonna tap those resources so i could see his order also doing a lot of the same dogmatic mistakes.
0: Speaking of tapping something, uh, I have to say, it'd be funny if we were at some point to get a scene, let's say right after Vision of the Future, right? Right after we know that Luke and Mara are getting together. Um, where maybe Jaina, maybe Jason, heck, maybe Kip, somebody, who's, maybe Tion, because she's searching through the records, finally finds the reference saying Jedi are not supposed to have attachments, not supposed to marry. RUNS TO LUKE QUARTERS! MASTER SKYWALKER! MASTER SKYWALKER! LOOK WHAT I JUST FOUND! Opens the door and there's Luke and Mara in bed. You know what, Master? Never mind, you can wait. And we're doomed. We're doomed. (laughs) You're not allowed to have a touch oh crap. Yeah. That sort of thing.
1: Well, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. It helps us grow as a show. You can find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page, at Films, Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com Now lastly, before we go we wanted to mention to you our Audible Trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash StarWarsReport, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. With more than 100 100,000 titles yes you heard me right you can explore the star wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you just don't like audible members they can exchange any book within 12 months no questions asked so in this digital age if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the screen or if you just want to add an e-library to it audible just might be right for you so once again for star wars beyond the films this has been mark and whistler and Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.
0: And don't quote us the odds. We'll get another feedback episode out before we get so backlogged again.
1: That's a good one. Or then we'll just uh, make it a bonus episode if we do.
0: the word on his balls wait a second that's not right <laughs> that ain't right son you <laughs> feel like a 57 disease <laughs>
1: No, you don't understand. Just yesterday I, I on Facebook somebody sent me a picture of a deer that was upside down with its balls caught through a steel poked fence. it's all oh, nuts, and I was showing it to the <laughs> cupmaster and we're all just like, oh my god! <laughs> I nice. totally, totally saw that again. <laughs> the one
0: time that my that my stepdad took me hunting, because I was not a, a hunting guy, we I killed a squirrel. And as he's skinning the squirrel, he pulls off its balls and just throws them at a tree and they go splat and I'm like,
1: oh, oh oh <laughs> oh man scarred for life oh boys <laughs> yeah. Really we're back with more feedback slap that here it's <laughs> here it's oh God it. I gotta take a second. <laughs> Okay, there, that giggle is out of my system. I'm good to go. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head with the Hydra Spanner there. I mean, that's a hundred percent. He was the Emperor's first hand in that regard. I mean, when you spell it out like that, it, it it's right there in your face in Darth Plagueis. I mean, Palpatine's going against the rules. He called him a Darth. He called him the apprentice, but really all he was was a hand. Wow, hand job. Did you do
0: say hand job? We just totally figured out how Mara got the position. Okay, um... <laughs>
1: <clears throat> I
0: don't know what you guys are talking about. Anyway, um...
1: Ha <laughs> You bastard! I already filled up a Gatorade bottle. <laughs>
0: Yet yeah, they never truly allow the Force to be explored, as they always sh... What? Shut, should be shut. Shut... <laughs>